0: Father, we come to you, and we thank you that you are God, a God that is not far off, but a God that is near, a God that has been flesh and blood and knows our struggles and misgivings and uncertainties, and a God that is beyond us but chose us. To be near us. When our words exhaust us, we have no better way to describe you than holy, holy, holy. And we thank you for inviting us into your presence. Speaking to us through your words and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, you're going to want to have your Bible open to Acts 1, and uh, Acts 1, I'll go back and forth between Acts 1 and also uh, Luke 24, but if you stay in Acts 1, I think you'll be right on target. Seven by seven by seven, Luke 24 and Acts 1, what in the world is this seven by seven by seven question? Question. What are seven colors on a color wheel? What's the number seven important? We know it's important in the Bible. What are we talking about it for? Well, that's a good question, several good questions. And I'm going to make you wait for an answer because I know how much you enjoy waiting, right? I remember as a little boy, I can't remember if I was fifth or sixth grade, And I went to the West Texas Fair, and I saw the first microwave oven of my life. Now, I know some of you are going, I can't believe that guy is so old he lived before microwaves. (laughs) Well, I was born shortly after the earth's crust began to cool, and I grew up until I was in the fourth or fifth grade with nobody knowing about a microwave. And when they showed up with an AMANA radar range, that's what it was called in those days, and this was the prototype. And they had just displayed it at the New York World's Fair. That's the first anybody had ever heard of it. There weren't any advertisements on it yet. And they showed up at the West Texas Fair with an AMANA radar range. And I heard about some new technology thing, and I managed to get away from my parents, and I went into the big display exhibit, And there were ranchers, and there were businessmen, and there were college professors, and there were a few geeky teenage boys. There was not a woman in the house. (laughs) Not a single woman in the house. And we sat there, and first they said, we can cook you a wiener for your hot dog in under 45 seconds. And so they stuck that wiener on a paper plate and they stuck it in the radar range and we all sat there. They closed the door and it hummed and then went ding and they pulled it out and it was hot and we go, that's nothing. We could cook you a baked potato in under three minutes. And so they stuck that baked potato on a paper plate and they stuck it in the radar range and they Turned that thing on and it began to hum. And you know what we did? We sat there and waited. <laughs> like a bunch of kids that had just gotten the Sears and Roebuck catalog back in the old days, you know, and had circled all their Christmas gifts, couldn't wait for Christmas to come. And we sat there and we waited for three minutes. Nobody said a word. Ding! And they pulled it out and opened it up and it melted butter as the greatest thing since sliced bread. That ushered us into the age where we hate to wait. Now surely I can get an amen on that. Don't you hate to wait? You know the Murphy's Law of Lines, right? Murphy's Law, anything that is bad, that can happen, is going to happen at the worst possible time, you know the Murphy's Law of Lines. You go to the checkout counter at the grocery store, and whichever line you get in is going to go most slowly. I went to the grocery store. We just moved. Our world is topsy-turvy. In fact, I was mortified this morning... Because until I got back to my old beat up Tahoe, I didn't know that I had brown shoes. I thought I was going to preach in camo Crocs this morning. (laughs) So I didn't know where anything was all this last week and a half. And I go into the grocery store to get something, and there's one line, and it's really short. And I get there, and I realize why. This woman has nine gift cards. And eight of them had no balance. And it took to the ninth one for her to buy a six-pack of Coca-Cola. That's why the line was the slowest and the shortest. But the reason it was both of those things was because I got in it. Murphy's Law of Lines, whichever line you get into, is going to go most slowly. We don't like to wait. And why do I share that with you? Because this week is about waiting. Look at Acts 1, verses 3 and 4. I'll bring it up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I hope whatever form your Bible is in, you'll highlight a few things. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them, his disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days... And he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait. Why wait? Why wait? Why would Jesus command them to wait? Why did they need to wait? What's the deal about waiting? Think about what they had. Their Savior that they had seen, they had eaten with, they'd seen him do miracles, they'd seen him raise the dead, they'd seen him feed 5,000, 4,000, they'd seen him take a blind man and make him have sight. They'd seen him take a lame man. And give him back his legs. They'd seen him take a father who was worried about a son. And give him back his son free from seizures and demon possession. They'd seen him take the hand of a little girl and go Talitha Kami. And raise her from the dead and say, would somebody please give this girl something to eat? They'd seen him do all those things. And then they had done what we talked about in the upper room as he celebrated the Seder meal, the Passover with them. And at the end of the Seder meal, he took bread and they shared it and they took wine and they shared it. And he said, I want you to take this in the future and I'm going to join you every time you do as a part of my kingdom. And as often as you do this, you're going to remember me. This is important. But one of you that has shared in this meal with me, you're going to betray me. And then Peter pipes up, Lord, if if everybody betrays you or flees from you, I'm ready to die with you. I I will stand with you even if nobody else does. No, Peter. Peter. Before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. They all wondered who was going to betray him. They all said it couldn't be them. Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? As they sit around the table. Then they see him arrested. Peter draws a sword, he's ready to fight, he's ready to go to the death. In fact, he swings at Malchus. I don't think he was aiming for his ear, do you? But all he got was his ear, and Jesus healed the ear. and Take the sword and put it in its place, Peter. Those that live by the sword are going to die by the sword. And then he says, you don't hurt these people of mine. I'll go with you. And then he goes through the time of illegal trials as the Sanhedrin tries him at night, something explicitly against the law. They hand him over to be uh, crucified by Pilate and the Romans because the Jews could give the death sentence, but they couldn't enforce it. And the disciples all knew he had died and he was dead and they had been in the upper room and they had been in anguish with the door locked in hiding and in fear. And now he was raised from the dead and they were excited, overjoyed. They couldn't believe. He had on one occasion to say, hey, guys, give me some fish. And he ate fish in front of them. And he said, a ghost doesn't eat fish, it's really meat. See my scars? Thomas said, I won't believe until I touch them. A week later, Jesus shows himself. So think of all that they had been through. And now they have this message. And now they're not afraid anymore. Jesus is alive. He's conquered death. He's real. He's powerful. And they've got this message. And then he goes up into heaven. And they're supposed to wait? Why wait? Wait. They've got a message. People got to know this stuff. This Jesus that was Christ, he's alive. We're not crazy. We're not a bunch of bumpkins from Galilee. We've been with the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus says, wait. Why wait? Jesus told them. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But you stay in the city until you have been, say it with me, clothed with power from on high. The spirit that he had promised. The Holy Spirit that we see prophesied in Ezekiel that we're studying on Sunday mornings. They need to be clothed with power. But that wasn't the only reason they needed to wait. After he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the heavens. And as he was going, suddenly, men dressed in white, we call them angels, stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? What in the world are you bankers and geeky boys and cowboys and professors doing looking at a little silver box waiting for it to ding? Why are you looking into the sky? Well, we're supposed to wait. No, that's not what waiting means. You go back to Jerusalem, but you realize that waiting is not piddling around. It's not wasting time. It's focused and it's intense. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, they go on and they say, this same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles, they returned to Jerusalem. They came back from the hill called the Mount of Olives. It's inside a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas, the son of James, And they were, say those words with me, all joined together. Waiting on the Lord means we're asking him to clothe us with power from on high. It's not just standing around looking, waiting for something to ding or some miraculous thing to fall from heaven. And it involves being joined together. Now, I want you to think about that batch of guys that were joined together. I want you to count with me. All right, let's count the guys. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip. That's five, right? Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Now, in Acts, they're going to be referred to for a little while as the 11. That's a goofy number to a Jew. It's goofy. While uh, we're little and we're in that kindergarten, first, second grade range and we lose our teeth and we smile and we smile and people will chuckle, because it's precious goofy. Right? That's precious goofy. When you got teeth missing and teeth coming in and it's it's precious. That's a precious goofy. But when you're 12 apostles and you start getting called the 11, that's not precious goofy. That's catastrophic goofy. It's a reminder that something is broken and marred and deeply wrong. It's a reminder that one of their own number had betrayed Jesus and then took his own life as a result. It's a reminder that one of them that was supposed to be the leader, he did not ever know in Jesus with swear words. It's a reminder that the other ten took off and fled. So they had lots to be regretful for. But they were all joined together. Waiting involves all those things, but it involves something more. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and they all joined together, say it with me, constantly in prayer. And it was the apostles, but not just the apostles. There were 120 people in that room, and a lot of them were women. The women, that's Luke's name for... The only people that were faithful to Jesus through everything. And along with the women were Mary, the mother of Jesus, along with his brothers, who hadn't believed until he had been raised. And they focused on prayer. Waited. Not wasted time. Not sitting around piddling but a consistent, committed weight. Why? Because they needed power. This church does a lot of great things, but Rodney said it, didn't he? It only happens because the Holy Spirit's here and we're unified. So we don't want to stand around looking, waiting for some big thing to happen to make this church great. Because when we took the supper and we took that one bread, we said we're a part of Jesus' body, and Jesus is already great. He's just asking us to be a part of it. But what we can do, instead of waiting in a piddling fashion or a frustrated fashion, is we can all join constantly in prayer being joined together in heart and spirit and commitment to do the work of God and to be in prayer for God to do his work and accomplish his mission through us. So when we talk about seven, we're talking about seven commitments. 14, 15 months ago, a group made up of Richie and some ministers and deacons and elders and a couple of others began to work on what was the heart and soul DNA of this church and what God had called it to do. When I asked you in a survey way back a bunch of months ago what you loved about this church, what you wanted to to see always as a part of this church, and as we've talked about in focus groups, a lot of the things reflected in these seven commitments, they came up in that. This group has been working on this to roll out to the church this fall. As a reminder that God is at work here, regardless of the people that are here, he has called this group to be unified as the presence of Jesus. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about seven commitments. Now, why did I wait to tell you that? Because if we want power, we've got to quit standing around looking for somebody else to do something. Because if we wait for somebody to do it, nobody's going to do it and nothing's going to get done. Because everybody knows that somebody is really nobody because nobodies will do what somebody or anybody could do. But nobody will because they think somebody else will do it. You know that's true. So the call of the elders, the call of the Lord at communion... The call of our singing this morning is that we be joined together in doing the work of God. And we're going to get ready to do that this week by joining together in prayer. I want you to take out your phone. If you have a phone, I want you to take it out. I, I'm, I know you don't want to because I've given you options to do this. But I want you to go, if you know how to set an alarm... I want you to set an alarm. Now, you know if you're an early morning person or a night person. But God gave you two sevens to choose from. You can choose a 7 a.m. or a 7 p.m. And I want you to set an alarm for every day. I've already done it on mine. And I would have it before me, except a little gal in China that's already done the Lord's work today. Pray to prayer for me and send it to me over WeChat that I would do a decent job this morning. So I, I, I'm, I'm blessed, but I can't get to my alarm right now. But I've already set mine for 7 p.m. because I'm not a good morning person. Not without a Dr. Pepper or two. But I want you to set an alarm for one of the sevens. And I want you to commit to pray for this church and its mission and the mission offering and the mission opportunities, and the call that God has for this church, that we be together and receive his power because we're not going to piddle around waiting. We're waiting on the Lord to bring his power. That's what today's about. It's an alert to let you know that next week we get started in serious focus on seven commitments. They're not Phil's seven commitments. I didn't come up with them. Your people who've been working on this for over a year came up with these. But there is one thing I do know. God's sure doing some good stuff in you. You're going to hear about some opportunities to do outreach and caring and sharing with other people in better ways than you ever imagined because God's been at work in the background over the last couple of months. You're going to hear about that sometime soon. You've already heard several things about the mission work in Ghana and how people love the Lord more than they love their own hurt and how they love the Lord more than their own lives. And because of that, literally hundreds of people are coming to Christ because of you. And you've heard about Deseo and the work going on in Honduras. And you've gotten a little glimpse of some stuff going on in Cambodia. And there's going to be more of that going on. And there's stuff going on right now in this community to care for people that are broken and neglected. So I want to remind you that these seven commitments are your commitments. And I'm just here to remind you it's what you believe with passion. On top of all that, we've got some stuff going on you're going to hear about in just a minute with the kiddos, the stuff that's going on with the youth. But I want to leave this message with you with one central thought in mind. God longs to come on this church with power and to do more than all we can ask or imagine. But that's only going to happen if we choose to wait like he wants us to. For his power, not piddling. And we do it by joining together. And we pray. Please join us at 7 to pray for seven commitments for seven days this week. And we'll give you more to pray about next week. If you need to come to the Lord for any reason, Rodney's talked about coming to the Lord because you've sinned and been broken and been away from the Lord, and we want you to come back. If you'd like to be a part of this church family, you can come down to the front or you can go to the back and let some folks know on either end, and they'll welcome you into the family. But if you need to confess Christ as Lord, and you believe what we celebrate in communion, that he died, and he died for our sins, and he was buried, but God raised him on the first day of the week, you can be joined to that because your faith is sharing his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Whatever your need is, we ask you to come. As we stand and sing. The splendor of a